Luke chapter 2 from verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in the in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. Well, leading up to Christmas is a time of anticipation, isn't it? An anticipation of joy, at least it was when I was a child. I realise as we get older, sometimes the anticipation of Christmas brings a sense of dread with all that is involved with the Christmas holidays. Nevertheless, despite the stress that this time of year brings, I'd like to uh, believe that all of our anticipation around joyful festivities and opening of presents and the gathering of families, singing Christmas hymns and so forth, that anticipation is modelled upon the more important anticipation that we find in our text of Scripture today. Because the first few chapters of Luke's Gospel, everything, everything is about anticipation. Elizabeth and Zechariah anticipate the birth of their son, the great prophet. Mary and Joseph anticipate the birth of a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. The shepherds anticipate meeting this Christ child. And here in Luke chapter 2, again we have a man called Simeon moved by the Holy Spirit. And we have a, a prophetess named Anna and she's moved by the Holy Spirit. And they are anticipating the consolation of Israel in verse 25. But not only them, a multitude of Israelites who come to worship in the temple, they too anticipated the same, because it says so in verse 38. Anna, having seen the Christ child brought by Mary and Joseph, she begins to speak about him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, the opening chapters of Luke's Gospel tells us that the child of Mary and Joseph was eagerly received. However, that phrase, to all who were waiting, implies that some Israelites were not waiting. They weren't living in anticipation. Not everybody listened to Anna. 
Not everybody shared the hope of Simeon. I wonder why that was. It's interesting, I think, that the two characters given to us in this historical account, neither is said to be a priest or a religious leader. After all, Mary and Joseph had come to the temple to present their firstborn son and to offer a sacrifice as it was told to do them in scripture. And yet the two that take note of Mary and Joseph's child, they're not whom we might expect. Instead, we have an old man and an old woman. And what commends them to us in this text is not their religious titles, but their devotion and their faithfulness to worship. For many years they'd been seeking and praying for fulfilment of God's comfort for Israel. And by this account they'd been waiting a long time. I mean, you can see the, 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 and feel the expression of joy and the relief at the fulfilment of God's promise to Simeon that he would not die before he'd seen the Christ. In verse 29 and 30, he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. See, this testimony of Simeon and Anna speak to what faithful devotion to God's promise looks like. Faith has to wait. It has to endure the hope with eager expectation over the long term. There are those that today say that this second advent of Jesus may be any time now. Look at how bad things are getting, they say. And yet how long had things been difficult for Israel? Oppressed and afflicted by Roman rule, surrounded by paganism, made to feel as strangers in their own lands, dispersed throughout the nations. Where was this great gathering of Israel? Where is this promised glory for Zion that God had promised hundreds of years before? How long must they wait? Well, Anna had been waiting more than 84 years. That's how long she devoted her life as a widow to living out the gospel hope. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Will you and I still be faithful in prayer and assembly, speaking the news of Christ when we're advanced in age? Will our eyes fill with joy like Simon at the realisation that God is true to his promises in 20 years, 40 years, 50 years? We should pray that our faith is be zealous for the advent of Jesus like it was for Simeon and Anna, but with a patience that will endure for a lifetime. And so I wonder, is that why not all Israelites were waiting and anticipating the redemption of Jerusalem? Were they sick of waiting? Had they counted God's patience in fulfilling his promise as unreliability? Perhaps they spoke of the Messiah's advent like the mockers in Peter's letter. Where is this coming, he promised? You see, living this side of Christ's birth, we often take the Christmas story for granted, don't we? But for these faithful ones in Israel, they had been waiting hundreds of years for God to fulfill his promises. But as we wait for the second coming of our Lord Jesus, for the completion of God's restoration, is it any different? And so we mustn't forget, brothers and sisters, that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, but the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So let's ask ourselves, are we waiting in faith like Simeon and Anna? So what is this promised redemption they were hoping for and what does it have to do with this child of Mary and Joseph? Well, that phrase in verse 25, that consolation of Israel, is pregnant with the messianic hope and the language that comes from Isaiah's prophecy in the Old Testament. I'll give you some examples. Isaiah 49 says, Shout for joy, O sky, rejoice, O earth. Let the mountains give a joyful shout, for the Lord consoles his people and shows compassion to the oppressed. 
Isaiah 57, I have seen their behaviour, but I will heal them and give them rest, and I will once again console those who mourn. And Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So can you see where their hope was rooted? It's rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. And you might have recognised that last reading from Isaiah because it's the very same passage, if you remember, that Jesus stands up to read in the temple in Luke chapter 4. And after reading that scripture, he says this, Today this scripture has been fulfilled even as you heard it being read. This child of Joseph and Mary is God's anointed one, spoken hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah, the one who would bring deliverance to a captive people, who brings comfort and righteousness to those who mourn and yearn for him. That's what Simeon and Anna saw. Enlightened by the power of God's Holy Spirit, they saw the fulfilment of their hope, the culmination of all of God's promises in this child, Jesus. So I wonder at this Christmas time if the Holy Spirit has helped you to lay your eyes on Jesus, to see your salvation. I marvel at the words of Simeon as he cradled the Christ child in his arms and he blessed God saying, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. When he'd laid his eyes on Jesus, Simeon had peace to die. There's a hint here, I think, that the peace produced by this trust in God's promise goes beyond death. I mean, Simeon would never live to see in his old age the full restoration of Israel, the glory of Zion, but he didn't have to because his peace came when he glimpsed these things in Jesus Christ. This Jesus whom they... This, this child who they call Jesus because he will save their peop his people from his sins. Have you glimpsed this salvation in Jesus? Because the fact is that we too wait the fulfilment of God's redemption. This hope of Simeon and Anna, it's the very same Christian gospel, restoration in Christ, and it's an eternal hope, a hope that brings peace beyond the grave. Does that same peace belong to you? There are those that say that the hope of God's redemption for Jerusalem is bound up in some land over there in Palestine. But I don't buy it from this text. That's not the peace that Simeon had in his old age. And I don't buy it because this book of Hebrews in our New Testament says of Abraham in the Old Testament, it says this, that he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He aspired to a better land that is a heavenly one. Is that what you anticipate along with these faithful ones in Israel? Your part in a heavenly Jerusalem, the restoration of all things? By the power of the Spirit, have you glimpsed that heavenly city that Jesus Christ is king of? But I wonder, is that another reason why many were not anticipating the, the restoration of Israel? Is it because they hadn't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Do you notice how often in this text God's spirit is at work in those mentioned here? God has awakened 
his people to this great hope. And the Spirit must wake you up to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He must grant you a burden over your sins and give you a vision of that heavenly city. That's how you'll take note of his son Jesus. It isn't through devout religion. Simeon's and Anna's devotion to the promises of God was because the Holy Spirit had prepared their hearts to receive this Jesus. Maybe that's why many in Israel were not anticipating Indeed, there were those that resist the Spirit, those leaders of Israel whom Stephen spoke. He said to them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit is speaking to us today in this scripture and we must not resist. So here's another question. How is this great hope of salvation to be accomplished? And our text today gives us some clues. Do you notice how frequently the scripture refers to the fulfillment of the law in Moses? Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Again in verse 27, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Verse 39, and when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. This scripture is laboring this point. From his earliest days, Jesus' life is set forth as fulfilling all the righteous requirements of God's law. It reminds me of what Paul told the Galatians. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Can you see it now in this text? This Christ child is the one who fulfills the law. The great hope of Simeon and Anna is not rooted in their ability to fulfill God's righteousness. No, they are among those who mourn and long for comfort. Rather, they're looking for the one who will fulfill all righteousness. So again, I wonder, is this another reason why many didn't anticipate this salvation? Because they failed to recognize the righteous requirements of God's law finds its fulfillment in this Son of God. Not their own righteousness. Paul spoke of those in Israel who had rejected the Messiah. He said this, that they ignored the righteousness that comes from God and instead seek to establish their own righteousness. You see, if people think, sometimes people think that if they can only keep God's commandments that somehow God will accept them. But if that were true, why was this Christ child sent from God and why was he born under the law? Which is why Paul wrote, Christ is the end of the law and there is righteousness for everyone who believes in him. But there's another clue in our text about how salvation is accomplished. And we can see it in those prophetic words of Simeon in verse 34, 35, as he speaks to Jesus' mother. He says, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here again we're pointed to something in the life of Christ as an explanation for God's salvation. But it's a bit confusing. He'll bring division in the nation, a blessing for some, a downfall for others. 
He will be a sign that is opposed, and there's this sword that will pierce the soul of his mother. What do we make of all that? Well, I can't help but see here in Simeon's words a veiled prophecy concerning Jesus' ultimate rejection. Although in the early chapters of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is well received, ultimately, by the end, he was handled over, handed over to the deliberate plan and foreknowledge of God. And this very wicked nation put him to death by nailing him to a cross. And that sword of pain that would pierce his mother's soul would become the means by which God would save this sinful nation. Isaiah in the Old Testament again had spoken of this when he wrote, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The New Testament scriptures also say, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So it's in this life of Jesus that again we have fulfilment of the law's demands. Its righteous standard as well as its penalty for its breaking, these are fulfilled in the life of Jesus such that those who belong to him receive comfort and are restored in their relationship with God. But again, I wonder, is this another reason why many didn't anticipate this salvation? Because they failed to see how God's promise of salvation required a rejected and crucified Messiah? Could that be why Jesus brings division? Because it all depends, doesn't it, on how our hearts perceive the Christ child who was given to suffer on the cross. And if submitting to that sign of the cross is obnoxious to us, then we have no hope. Because as Simeon reminds us here, this is the means by which God will rescue his people and gather them around a crucified Messiah. So I want to ask one last question of our text, and that's this. Who is this salvation for? Is it even relevant to us, or is this simply for the Jews? Again, Simeon answers for us in his prophecy in verse 30. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon's messianic hope, which flowed from the Old Testament, is not just for the Israelite nation. As Isaiah 52.10 says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Psalm 96. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Who is left out in those invitations from the Old Testament? Nobody, because Jesus is the hope of all peoples. This restoration of Israel that Simeon hopes for is for the Gentiles also. It comes straight from his mouth. This hope of salvation is for you and for I and for the nations. And so this Christmas story is not about a Jewish Messiah, not just about a Jewish Messiah. It's about a salvation that reaches to the very corners of the earth. That is why we sing the hymn, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. It's right here in Luke chapter 2. As this young Jesus presented in the temple, he's such an inconspicuous saviour. His parents are such unimportant in the eyes of the world that they can't even afford a lamb sacrifice. But it doesn't matter. Because in his arms, Simeon has held the true sacrifice for the whole world. It is this Christ that God will save 
all from the very boundary lines of the earth. They will come to him and they will find that same peace that Simeon had, express the same joy of Anna. Is it any wonder that Mary and Joseph marvelled at the things that were spoken of their son? So I ask these questions of us today as we finish. Do we marvel at these things too? Who is this Christ child to you? Will he be for your falling or for your rising? Are you weary of waiting for God's salvation? Do your ears tire of the promise of God? Will you be like those in Israel who had given up on God's promised redemption? Is your faith in Christ patient, enduring and prayerful, waiting for God's appointed time? Has the Holy Spirit awakened to you to the importance of Jesus or do you resist him? Could you be like those in Israel who upon seeing God's gift of his son born under the law to fulfill the law and you say, no thanks, I'll lean on my own righteousness? Or like so many through history, does the crucified Messiah offend you? His humility, his rejection, or the fact that your sins deserve such a punishment that fell on Jesus. Countless have rejected Christ on that basis. You see, this scripture calls us away from all of those types of unbelief because it's God's plan to rescue us in Jesus. And here he invites us to share the faith of Simeon and Anna and the multitude in Jerusalem who recognised Jesus for who he was. Because, mess, this, because the message of this text today is simply this, that the eyes of our faith would glimpse our redemption in this child of Mary called Jesus and that we might anticipate our salvation in him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit and for your scripture here that teaches us that Jesus is the Christ. Father, we thank you for those of old that were waiting for him, anticipating him, mourning and yearning. They knew, Father, that they needed you to act, needed you to restore and to bring them into relationship with you. We thank you that you've done that in the Lord Jesus Christ. We just pray that you'd give us a heart today that would yearn to be united to you through our Lord Jesus and that his person and work would be clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen.